What is up, fools? This is the QTR Podcast. Today is June 4th, 2020. It's 83 degrees and sunny here. Jeez, by looking out the window, you'd never know that the earth has slipped into the seventh circle of hell. Uh, if you just kind of focus on the sky area for a little while, just look straight up and don't look at anything that's going on around you. People walking around you in masks and Tyvek suits, people lighting things on fire, graffiti. It really has just been absolute chaos over the last couple of weeks. Here to help make sense of it all is my homeboy, Bill Fleckenstein. We're going to get to him in a second. First and foremost, I want to say that this podcast, like all of my podcasts, is brought to you by my patrons. Patrons are the fine group of individuals that have helped make this podcast a thing for the last two years. They help by donating a monthly recurring sum that supports the podcast. I want to shout out my patrons. Then I'm going to give you the two rules for the podcast, and we're going to get on our merry way. First and foremost, very topical for today's discussion. Excuse me for a second. All right. We have my friends at JM Bullion. They are my exclusive gold and silver providers. They have a sales representative standing by just for QTR podcast listeners. So if you email Kathy with a K, K A T H Y at jmbullion.com, she'd be more than happy to help you. Tell her you're a QTR podcast listener. They'll give you free shipping. JM Bullion is one of my favorite places to order gold and silver from. I just made an order last week again. Uh, I order frequently, I've used other sites, and comparatively, they have better inventory, better turnaround time, and I just like them better. My homeboy Rob over there, I enjoy working with him, he's a big supporter of the podcast, and so it's nice to be able to give him uh, some karmic repayment and show them some love while hedging yourself against the shit show that is the entire financial system at the same time, so it's a win-win. Check out my friends at JM Bullion. One of my other longtime homeboys is my friend Pete Hedgetus over at the Trader's Path. The Trader's Path is really, it's a trading service for the rest of us. If you're not interested in joining an investor's, uh, you know, uh, trading service or a day trading community that is going to give you the feeling that they're trying to front run you or they're just trying to take your money, check out the Trader's Path. Pete started it because he got tired of these other trading services. He didn't like the vibe that they gave off, so he wanted to kind of do something for the everyday trader. Um, Pete's a sharp dude. He does daily watch lists. He does a live stream of everything that they do on a daily basis. He does investor education, and it's a really nice community, uh, you know, for the rest of us. Who had the uh, who had the the brand um, slogan that was something something for the rest of us? I don't know. Maybe it was Apple back in the day. I can't I can't remember. But really, Pete's service is like the trading service for the rest of us. Check it out, The Trader's Path. There's a link in the podcast description. Tell Pete, you can email him, peter at thetraderspath.com. Tell him QTR sent you and you want a discount, and he'll hook you up. Trust me. This podcast is also brought to you by my dear friends over at the Sanglucci Steam Room. There is really nothing like the Sanglucci Steam Room out there. The Steam Room is a one-of-a-kind product that tracks money moving in and out of the market via the illiquid options market and may help you telegraph moves in the equities market, which can be a great way of tracking where money is going kind of behind the scenes. The Sanglucci Steam Room is really an OG product that's been around for uh, probably almost 10 years now. I have known Sanglucci, Wall Street Jesus, Charlie Bathgate, these guys for a decade. They're honest people. They're some of the sharpest guys in the market right now. Uh, you know, I just love these guys to death. I love their platform. I think it's aesthetically beautiful to use. I think it's functional. I think it serves a great purpose. Um, so check out the Sanglucci Steam Room to help you kind of, it's different than these other services that are providing unusual options activity. This is 
this takes into account different types of option sweeps. Um, and so it's a more comprehensive product. And the Sangliucci Steam Room is really uh, one of a kind. There's nothing like it. Check out my friends over at the Sangliucci Steam Room. There's a link in the podcast description. They also offer the 3LT playbook, which are the three rules that Lucci used to become a seven-figure trader, and the Sang Lucci Master Course, which is an investor education for the rest of us. So if you don't want to listen to a bunch of financial jargon and horse shit, you can check that out. This podcast is also brought to you by my friends at Corvus Gold, my buddy Robert Mizello, thank you, my friend, Jay Mintzmeyer, Russ Valenti, Nicholas Parks, my homeboy Nathan Michaud, Chris Bede, Ken R., Crichton Titus is still in the house, Will Smith and Michelle Koenig, Dylan Davis, Ken, J.K. Cunningham, Stank Love, and Brainerd Ferguson. Thank you guys so much. I also want to shout out some of my newest patrons, people that have signed up since my last episode that deserve a little bit of a shout. David Harvey, my friend Q is in the house. Just Q has just showed up. Thank you, my friend. David Harvey, Warren Mashborn, Matt Malecki, Antrim Investment Research is in the house. Ed Campbell, Sin, Will J, Al V, I see all you guys. Thank you so much. Nick Nefsey, thank you, my friend. Maury Ballstein, thank you. Will Smith, Simon Thorson, and some people that have been with me for a while, like James Cottom, Gavin Hart. Uh, the Flow Algo people are still in the house. I appreciate you guys. Uh, how about Falafel Diaper is still with me? And uh, Badge Trading, and finally, we'll do one more. How about my friend... Fuck. Paul Marcotte. Thank you, my friend. There it is. All right. This podcast has two rules. Take two alcoholic drinks, slam them into your face, because, folks, reality right now is not really best viewed sober. I hate to tell it to you. And this podcast really is never best listened to sober. That's the first thing. The second thing is this is not investment advice. I'm not an investment advisor. I hold no registrations. I hold no licenses. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to my guests. Rate the podcast one star on iTunes. Literally, I'm begging you to turn this podcast off now. And with that being said, let's get to our guest for the day. All right. Very excited to have with me back on the podcast, Mr. Bill Fleckenstein, QCR podcast guest number one. Over two years ago, Bill is a uh, money manager with decades of experience. His website, FleckensteinCapital.com. Everybody knows Bill from our show. He's uh, one of the guys that I respect the most in the industry. Uh, He's online on Twitter, at FleckCap. Bill, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you, buddy? I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me. Hope you're doing okay, too. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm doing very well. Thank you. It's... Really interesting times, Bill. You know, you were one of the people I hadn't I hadn't really initially thought about reaching out to you this week. And I just, you know, I woke up yesterday and I saw that the Nasdaq was making record highs. And I don't know, I just felt a little sad. Like the whole thing is just beyond all repair. I mean, we felt like that for a while, but you were the first person I thought of. And actually, I thought back to one of your appearances a long time ago when, you know, you said QE4 is where after QE4 is going to be able to, you're going to be able to do what you want to do, but the Fed's definitely going to come with QE4. And, and, and here we are. And Bill, is it is it much more, is QE4 much bigger than you ever thought it would be? <laughs> Um, I, I don't know that I would say it that way. Um, because 
once you know that they will do anything, you'd be foolish to think you knew what the upper bound of quote unquote anything was. Right. I would say they did more and they did more and bigger faster than I would have guessed. I wouldn't have thought they, you know, would they, you know, take rates to zero immediately, you know, print two trillion in a month, open up ten different bailout facilities, some of which some of which needed an equity uh, spiv created by the Treasury. They did all that really fast, faster than I might have guessed. Right. But uh, so, other than the speed with which they respond, that I can't say that I'm 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 very surprised because you know they they will literally do anything because as I've noted in prior discussions that we've had they have sort of commandeered the stock market uh if you didn't think of it as a stock market if you just thought of it as the portfolio balance channel by which they try to drive the economy then you'd know that the stock market to them is just a tool to make the economy do what they command right so if you think about it that way not very much would surprise you yeah, I've been saying for a little while, I think the stock market is the Fed's only mandate. Would you agree with that? Yes, but I think the connotation is slightly different. Um, it, it um, you know, it, it's a little bit of the the black helicopter side of you, so to speak. Uh, I, I'm not, I don't mean to be rude about that. I mean, it's just, okay. <laughs> it's, 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 um, it's, it's more about, you don't even need to go to that a level of nefariousness. They believe they believe that they are the saviors of the economy and they can do no wrong. And whatever they deem needs to be done, they will do it. And they can never be wrong. So there's no introspection. There's no examination of our policies. Or, gee, could we have had any role in any of these bad things? Could we have had any role in the inequality in America that's causing some of what we're seeing in the streets? And as you saw, Bernanke, or sorry, Powell on 60 Minutes or wherever he was, said, you know, they had the Fed had no role in, in the inequality, which is preposterous. They are the reason for it. They are the reason. It's not capitalism. It's them. So they have this opinion of themselves. They can never be wrong. They must do these things. So the, 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 the stock market – in other words, they're not – I'll make it. I'll make the distinction. They're not doing what they're doing because, well, we need to have the stock market up because we have to help our bankster buddies and we have to help our the one percent be having more money because they're our masters. It's not like that. They just view it as, look, this is our job. We're we're going to make everything go great. We can't do anything wrong, and we need the stock market up because that's how we we do it. And if a few people make money on it, so be it. I thought that's the way I look at them. I thought the comment that they weren't contributing to the inequality gap was I found that to be especially offensive. And I'm wondering if it's, go ahead. No, I was going to say it's offensive, but not in the way probably that it's a, it's offensive in that they're so clueless and they're doing damage. It's not offensive in that um you know, it's you're insulting my intelligence because you think you expect me to believe that sort of thing, right? <laughs> they, 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 you see, you, you, you think they're more duplicitous than I do, and you maybe think they're smarter than I do. I mean, yeah, they all got PhDs and they write papers, but they don't know, they don't know anything about anything. I mean, I, I mean, I proved that about Bernanke and Greenspan in the book. I mean, it's not debatable. Um, you know, Powell's just cut from us. He's just the same, same sort of guy. So 
they are the enemy. They are doing things wrong. They are. I, I mean, Paul Krugman is a <laughs> reprehensible human being uh, because of because because of, because of the way he behaves, and he's so sanctimonious, and he's so right, and he argues for the Fed to do more of the very same thing that creates the number one problem that he constantly rails against, and he's smart enough to see that. So, I mean, for I mean, I, I find him detestable because he he advocates the very policies that create the things that he hates and then he turns around and blames somebody else for those problems. So, I mean, that's the kind of guy that I find totally useless. Um, but, 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 but anyway, that's where we are. And, and Krugman uh, speaks online when he tweets in this matter of fact, this very matter of factly way, you said sanctimonious, but he tweets this shit, you know, dead. Let me repeat it again. Debt is money that we owe to ourselves. Like, we're the yeah. dumbasses that just aren't getting it. Right, right. Bill? Right, right. Yes. I mean, I, I probably should have said arrogant, not sanctimonious. So I used the wrong adjective. You can use both. But, um, 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 but in any case, and so when I, I – I, um, because I, I think I know where you're going with this or where you started with this, and that is the other night – on Sunday night after the riots had happened, nobody – it wasn't like people were thinking they were coming and the market had discounted it. When this futures were only down 25 or so to start, I thought, oh, my God, these things are going to go green. They're not down enough. And they did go green, and I tweeted something about it. And my point wasn't that, oh, my God, how could the market be up with all this bad news and the spoos can't be green? It's not fair. I, I didn't mean that. What I meant was this proves – that the only thing that matters to the markets is is the QE and the those policies and the and the upside damage that they do. And the reason I say upside damage is because, you know, when you distort reality for a long period of time and you kick the can, when the band-aid gets ripped off, so to speak, then you have what we've seen in the streets. This isn't purely a function of 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 what one Minnesota policeman or four Minnesota policemen did to one completely innocent, undeserving black man. That's not what this is about. I mean, some of it for sure. But the fact that you've had people join all over the world and in all kinds of towns where you might not expect that sort of thing, that, 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 that was the spark or the catalyst to get people to get out and vent their anger and rage. Maybe they can't even articulate why they're so angry. I think Locking people down and taking away their sources of income for months on end and not really giving a prospect for how they're going to get back to that and what's going to happen, you know, it creates a tremendous amount of frustration and ill will and it all spills out. So, uh, you know, that, that, that it, by all rights, the market should have gotten clubbed at least for a couple of days on that news and yet it didn't. And, and it's because of the, the learned behavior that all the QE and all the easy money before that I – mean, I mean, this has been going on for 20, 20, you know, 12 years of QE, but wrongful uh, – too easy of monetary policies now for 25. So you've got a generation or two who's only seen this sort of thing. Um, and uh, so anyway, we, we create markets that are impervious to news, and we get people to speculate and – and there's going to be a price to pay. I mean, I, we're not getting past the election or very far past it without a, a huge hiccup in the market. I mean, unless they come with an, an even unfathomable amount more QE. But at some point, they're going to lose the bond market. I've talked to you about this before. And when they lose the bond market, they're not going to be able to do this anymore. Now, there is the possibility that they can end up doing cold fusion, and that's a different outcome. But in any case, the end game is the Fed will keep doing this, and they'll keep monetizing stuff until something stops them 
I assume it will be the bond market. I doubt it will be the currency because the other central banks are doing the same thing. So how can you really care whether right. you own a yen or a euro or a dollar when it's all crap to begin with? <laughs> you know, yeah, and that's what I talked to uh, with Schiff on my last appearance with him, which is, you know, if everybody's kind of complicit in this global prisoner's dilemma of central banking the way that we're doing it, doesn't that prolong it for a while? But uh, I want to go back to just unpack one or two things that you said, and I, I was hoping that you might be able to do something for – my listeners, can you just basically explain when we say that the Fed um, widens the inequality gap instead of shrinks it? Can can you explain from a very bird's eye view how that happens to somebody that might sure. not understand? Sure, it? sure, sure, sure. Let's say you are a person that makes I, I don't know what salary levels appropriate to pick because different cities and different regions required certain amount of a different amount of salary. But let's say you're a a married couple, maybe you have a child or maybe two or maybe none, but and you're the le- the level of income between you and your wife or you by yourself just barely allows you to live sort of comfortably, not not as well as you might like, but you know, you can, you know, maybe you can go out to eat, whether it might only be, you know, a high-end chain restaurant as opposed to a fancy place, but but you feel semi-comfortable and you feel like if I keep working hard, maybe there's some way for me to kind of get ahead. I can make more money and then start to save some, maybe invest some. So that's a certain strata. That's what we kind of used to call the middle class, and there's varying degrees of that. You can you can make more and actually be saving money and have a little money in the market. You can't put it in bonds anymore because there's no interest anywhere. Um, but let's say that that's the kind of person you were, but in the last decade, all of a sudden – your money doesn't go as far. You 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 don't have as much excess income, and and that's because the cost of things have gone up. Now you you wouldn't see it in the CPI data because, as I've explained before, the CPI data is uniquely constructed such that price increases get smothered. There's hedonics, which and there's substitution, and um and, and and there's owner equivalent rent and anyway there's a bunch of things that make the cost that you see at home not show up as inflation so you might think you're crazy that there's not supposed to be an inflation but yet your paycheck isn't going so far so you're you're kind of falling behind the the level of income and life that you expected to have as you pr- proceed through your career and you get frustrated by that, and especially when you see signs of opulence and some people with so much money and doing so many crazy things and all this wealth, and it builds a certain frustration level. You've been sort of eviscerated by the Fed policies. You haven't been helped. The things that, the, where the money is leaked out besides just going into you know, financial assets and things rich people buy, it's pushed up the price of education and healthcare and other service type things. Maybe bread hasn't gone up until recently. So you've been, you've been, you've been kind of left behind. Meanwhile, if you were lucky enough to get to that position in life and get ahead in your job and, and start saving money before we got to this policy or where you got a job where you got some stock options and you got some capital, well, all of a sudden the capital that you had that you were able to put aside has started to really grow, and all of a sudden now you got you got a lot of extra money, and you're you're you've got some wealth. And depending on how much you have, and how lucky you were, and how well you did, you may have you know five 
you know, 50,000 in the bank, 500,000, 5 million, 50 million, or then you can get up into really big numbers. And so the people that had the ability to put capital aside because of their job and their station in life or inheritance or stock options or, you know, they're the greatest athlete in some sport, they got capital and that capital has grown. The policy of the Federal Reserve has grown the capital, you know, not exponentially, but, you know, I mean, in a very, uh, non-linear way. Right. Whereas if you haven't if you haven't had that capital, you haven't been able to get to the point where you can attain it. So the policies keep you behind, and the other guys get to keep getting ahead. And at some point, maybe you can sense that if you can't see it and articulate it. And so that's how it goes, and that's how the inequality continues to get worse. And the Fed doesn't seem to have a clue that. This is part of what made, I mean, with the addition of the pandemic, but is part of probably historically what they've done over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, part of what has created the powder keg that has led to the unrest that we're seeing is what you're saying. Well, I well, I would say I would say my belief and of course, I've got this philosophy and, and, and belief and data sets about what the Fed's done and how it's warped things. And so I believe this very strongly. So I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to maybe blame too much. Some people might say you blame too much on the Fed. Well, I don't think so, but I understand that criticism. Um, I believe this, what I described to you, is part of the frustration that brought in Trump. It wasn't that they that net net people said, oh, we hate Obama so much and we hate Hillary so much. Some did, obviously. But it was like, okay, we got to try something else. And, and it was him. So I, I think that the part of what I've discussed is part of what br- brought Trump in. And, and, and um, so that was the first kind of sign that something wasn't right. And then we saw Brexit, you know, so that was a, maybe the same sort of thing going on over there. They were frustrated, and this was their chance to lash out. Then on top of that, you've had the last few years where there's been more of the same – and then you have then then you tell people you can't go to work. We don't know when you're going to be able to go to work. And if you can think about it, you probably realize that your work's not going to come back the way it was. And you and then and then all of a sudden you don't have any money and 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 you're going to lose your business or you're worried about losing your house. The mental stress of having to worry every single day about what am I going to do financially? How am I going to get out of this? I don't care if the government gives you some free money. I mean, if you were a dishwasher at a restaurant, perhaps now the things they've done has helped you. So there's a certain strata, certain level of income where they've they've kind of supported you. But other than that, there's a lot of people walking around. They don't have any idea how they're going to get back to where they were. And for some, it's not going to be able to happen. And this is the number one thing that I have fretted about and and felt so much sort of empathy for people for is, you know, it would be it would be so difficult to have to think about that every single day right. and yep. know so 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 not only are you trapped and you can't do anything you've been stewing in the juices of knowing god i'm i'm on my way to financial ruin and i didn't do anything wrong right and and, and why won't they let me try to go to work why can't we try to do something we started out to smother the spike and i will give you full credit you were on that like a dog on a bone in the very beginning about how dangerous this flu was I myself was on it early, but not as early as – I would say your hair was on fire, but you had your hair crop down <laughs> so low. I don't think it could have caught fire. And so so there was a time to, to run around and say, folks, we got to stop this. You did what you did. I did what I did in my columns, 
and no and unfortunately nobody paid attention and then when it hit they overreacted and they overreacted and they shut everything down because they had to smother the spike i get that but then they overdid it the politicians don't care i don't care what they say and i'm sure there are some exceptions to this rule but largely not they don't care if they bankrupt a whole bunch of people millions and hundreds or millions and millions of businesses they don't really care it doesn't hurt them but they'll feel criticized if the incremental death happens or the incremental they made the covid a cause celeb so now they're overreacting in the other way and they're doing far more damage this country people would have died and people will get upset for me was for saying this but we would have had more deaths had they done a lot less of this but the country as a whole would be better, better off it's, it's a there's a, a huge multiplier of how many people have been economically displaced versus how many have died and there's no real incentive on the part of a lot of these politicians to undo that and as you can see what's happened is now they get power and they can tell any business they want you can open for 15 minutes you can open you can have this you can only open so much so they're they're in you have people that don't really know anything about business they're in politics and they're making decision business decisions across the board for people and so that's a very scary prospect how are you going to get a chance to get back to any kind of a life to feed your family to make money to try to get ahead to save your daughter go to college i mean i could make up a million different scenarios so that is that is the the situation that this murder occurred in and people blew up a lot of people are rightly upset about about lingering racism and lack of fairness on that score a lot of other people just went along with it because they're so fed up and they and they maybe they couldn't even articulate what i've said and you know um so that's where this i believe that's where this came from and and now you look prospectively and you say okay well were we going to get a second wave because of so many protesters and rioters out there maybe we were going to get a second wave anyway. The politicians were going to overreact. And so there's going to be another wave of economics disruption. Now, maybe it's not going to be as bad in the second wave. I sure hope not. But I can see how oh, people could freak out about that. And then you go through this whole disruption again. And then you got to lead up to the elections. And that you might think there's acrimony now. Wait till you get protesters. You know, you have the guys in the MAGA hats against the Trump derangement syndrome guys. And, you know, if, you know and that's going to be a scenario. It's, I mean – this is going to get so ugly across so many fronts between now and the election. Then at some point, I don't think the market will be able to bear up under all of that, especially with the Fed trying to do a little bit of tapering on their money printing. But I don't know what I don't know how it's going to play out between here and there. I just know that we're getting very close to a moment in time where bad stuff is going to be bad stuff, and they're not going to be able to laugh it off anymore. Yeah, you mentioned. In early January, you know, we were two of the first people to point out that the, you know, the virus is something that needed to be paid attention to. And my concern back in January was that there were things about the virus we weren't being told. So I was worried about two things, Bill. I was worried that the virus had a higher fatality rate than China was leading us on to believe. Uh, so I was worried about that. And I wrote an article about that in February, encouraging people to look at the data that we got from outside of China as soon as it became available. And I was worried about the inevitable shock, the onset that would... I was worried about much worse civil unrest than we're seeing now as a result of maybe us finding out that this thing is worse than we thought and it's too late. There was never a doubt 
that it was going to come to the U.S. But in March, when it started to become clear to me that really, at least in my opinion, the only thing that China has lied about and lied egregiously about is the number of cases in the country, which, you know, I don't believe for a second, 80,000 cases in a country of 1.5 billion. When it became clear that outside objective data was showing us that the fatality rate and the mortality rate was probably much lower than we had thought as a result of asymptomatic infections and, you know, the beginnings of antibody testing coming in. Um, Then I did a a Periscope in March called Being a Contrarian in a Time of a Pandemic. And, you know, there were a lot of people just catching on and starting to get alarmed, you know, rushing out to buy shit and groceries and this and that. And and I was at the point where I was like, well, maybe this maybe this isn't going to be as absolutely horrifying as people think. And that's not to underscore, you know, the deaths that have happened. Either. Right, right, right. And then, you know, we got all the data from the United States on how they were counting COVID deaths. You know, anybody that died from anything else who happened to have COVID at the same time went down in the books as a COVID death. And you start to hear about... You know, the incentives that hospitals and states and municipalities were getting for, you know, on a per patient basis. And now I see things today like CNN, the the main headline on CNN today, Bill, was Dr. Fauci says it's time to start talking about reopening schools. And it's like, all right, well, what's happened in the last 60 days, Bill? Yeah, I, 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 you know, like I said, I, when the time by the time the authorities got around to doing anything, they they overreacted, um, and you know I, it was clear to me by early April that that we we were now we had you know a, the pandemic paranoia and, and all of that and and everyone overreacted. Um, so, but 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 here we are. I mean now, now we're in a situation where what's going to how's this going to play out next? And and as I described the complexity of the situation, you know, I, I really don't know. I, I, I can see how the politicians are going to are going to are going to want to kind of do what they've done to cover their and cover their ass. And then it's going to be made into political. It's going to be political football. Right. Oh, you just want to open the economy to help Trump. Oh, you just want to keep the economy closed to to, 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 to to hurt Trump. You know, and it's like it's so difficult to have an intelligent discussion and try to find a place that makes sense because. There's so many people that just want to fan the fires on each side. And, you know, of course, the media is the worst at this. I mean, there's just no attempt to try to say, look, this is a bad hand we have to play. You get this stuff, and if you're unlucky, you're going to die. And you're going to get really sick, too, unless you're lucky. And if you're lucky, it won't be so bad. But meanwhile, we're devastating people who've just tried to do their jobs and go to work and raise their families. And, And it never gets presented that way. It's always, you know, it's either pro-Trump or anti-Trump or, you know, and, and it's all this, all there is is in these flamethrowers going back and forth. And when you have that happening, I don't see how you're going to chance to even arrive at an intelligent solution. So you'll have some states and cities where they've got some politicians with some common sense and they'll do better or, or you're in a state where there isn't much virus. I mean, the middle of the country is less populated den- or, you know, off the coast. I don't mean the middle of the country. There's less population density. So there's a better chance of not having the virus come back in a, in a big way. But, you know, I mean, then you have meat pack, pack, packing plants that are in the different parts of the country that aren't so crowded in population density. But at work, those places are, are, are crowded. So you could have supply chains disrupted again. But in any case, 
it's a very complicated, sorry, complex mess, and it's going to stay that way for quite a while. How much do you think the media has stoked the flames? Because here's why I'm asking. More than one occasion, I've turned on the television over the last 10 days since uh, the unfortunate murder of George Floyd, and that's what it was. I mean, it was it was a murder. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. But with that being said, I have seen, you know, and just I've flipped through, I've done like, I've tried to do an objective observation of, you know, Fox News, MSNBC, uh, CNN. Here's what I've seen over the last 10 days, okay? One night I turned on MSNBC, they had a eight, an eight split screen of eight different cities, okay? They had eight different cities with eight different riots going on, with all hell breaking loose in all eight cities, you know, tracking what was going on in every city. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, all right, like, seems like a little bit much to me to have that up there, but all right, maybe that's just them covering the news. There's also been times where I've turned on CNN and I've heard statements like, well, we have peaceful protests here, but things look like they could turn violent later. Or, you know, just these little statements that have been kind of interjected into what I think would normally be otherwise objective reporting. You know, hey, we don't really know, we don't really know what's going to happen after curfew. The curfew is 8 o'clock, but, but we know many of these people, uh, you know, often stay out past the curfew. You know, and when you hear things like that on, on mainstream media, and you know that people at home or in their respective cities are watching this, and even like Fox News, you know, showing... Cops getting hit by police cars and showing people busting through windows and looting stores in Philadelphia and all this stuff. I mean, to what degree, Bill, does that enable people who are sitting at home doing nothing and they turn on the television and they say, well, if all hell's breaking loose, I might as well go out and fucking contribute to it? Um, I don't think that the news necessarily incentivizes people to riot. I think that what can happen in a, in, a, in, a, in a crowd situation, you know, crowds have a way of taking over the individual. I believe, you know, let's say in, in some of these cases, there were for sure Antifa was in there. And, you know, supposedly there, you know, there, there might be some other splinter type groups and maybe you guys on the right as well, this Boogaloo group. I don't know how much they do. I don't, out here in the Northwest where I live, it's Antifa causing the problems. But anyway, but let's say you're out there and you, you get, you know, you're a younger person, you know, haven't really learned that much about life and you get caught up in it. So I think it's more being out in a crowd and having it go on. You just kind of get caught up in it. But you're you, you get caught up in it because you've been sitting around cooped up and are frustrated. It's more likely that let's say you're a really good kid in your late teens, 20s, you know, whatever. Um, you could get caught up in it and then actually then say, God, I, I really you know, you might know later you shouldn't have. But I don't think the media necessarily got people to go out and do that. I think that's what happens when you get out there. But I think the media may have created a precondition for people to be frustrated. You're already frustrated about some of the things we talked about. And then you see something on the news about that's been slanted in a way and it just gets your goat and you get your and then you want to go out and protest. And then you get there and then something else happens. And you do something you wished you hadn't of maybe. And then there's people that are just bad people and they do what they do. So I think I think the media is at fault in that uh, uh, the, in that no 
the, the, the people that are willing to, to support or be constructive about Trump have no credibility with the other side, and the other side makes no attempt to understand why you might feel that way. And if you're on the, on the conservative side, you know, a lot of the things that the, the, uh, anybody but Trump tend to, tend to believe, you, you, they don't have any credibility with you. Or said differently, um, is CNN, to pick one, used to be a great source of information. Now, there's no information, but whatever happened was Trump's fault. I don't care what it was. If the meteor hit the earth, that would be his fault too. And the reason I bring that up is because not everything is his fault. And when you when you refuse to say the other side did something right, you can't have a dialogue back and forth. Nobody can learn anything. On Fox's case, sometimes I'll, I, I watch both of them just to kind of take a pulse. Sometimes on Fox, they'll make a bunch of valid points, and then they'll finish it with something like this. And we need to get back to the greatest economy ever. No, it wasn't the greatest economy ever. The unemployment rate was where it was as a function of lots of things, but it wasn't because the economy was so great and this was the greatest economy ever. They can't so, – so if, if they're making a factual statement, they blow their credibility by trumpeting something that's not true. CNN does the same thing because, like I said, they blame everything on Trump. And the, I was really appalled the other night watching CNN when in the midst of these midtown riots – they were covering a bunch of the social aspects of other things. I mean, I mean, and, 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 you know, I mean, look at all the, I mean, you couldn't have made more errors than Bill de Blasio did, but, but so you'd think if you wanted to have some credibility as the New York times, you could at least say, well, you know, maybe he shouldn't have made those, those calls to tell people to go out, you know, early on in this and, and all these things. So I've gotten into some details here, but I'm, but part of the problem is neither side – I mean because basically there is no independent news media anymore, and neither side tries to gain credibility by, by just discussing the facts. Each side has to embellish the points for their man or their view, and that makes it worse because if you, if you were trying to be independent and understand what's going on, where are you supposed to turn? Yeah, it's really difficult, and that was, you know, part of the reason I wanted to start doing a podcast a couple of years ago because you just you can't get both sides to any kind of story. It doesn't matter whether it's a social issue or a or an economic issue. It's just very difficult to get both sides represented, and it's very difficult to see objectivity. You're you know you're right about CNN. I was talking to my dad a couple of days ago. And I, you know, my political views haven't really changed, you know, probably in 15 years. I mean, I, I really, when Ron Paul ran in the early 2000s, when I start to discover in the libertarian viewpoint on things, and I used to watch CNN all the time. And I said to my dad on the phone, I'm not sure what happened, dad. I said, I don't know if I'm changing and I'm turning into this, you know, closed-minded right-wing neocon that just you know, just can't stand CNN because Trump hates it? Or has the programming changed and really kind of pushed me away? But when I think back to the last four years, to your point, Bill, there hasn't been a time, and I do the same thing you do. I watch a, a sampling of all the networks to get a pulse on things. 
There hasn't been a time where I've turned it on and they've said anything complimentary. And, and it doesn't matter who's on. It doesn't matter whether it's Anderson Cooper, whether it's Aaron Burnett, whether it's Brian Stelter, whether it's Don Lemon, whether it's Chris Cuomo. The message is, or Wolf Blitzer, the message is that whatever Trump is doing right now is terrible. And even if 90% of the things that he does are terrible, you can't have right. that message 100% of the time. Right. Well, we could take an example, uh, and and this uh, this is not meant to to be to be the Trump advocates, but you, you could argue that he at least tried to stop flights to China early on. Right. And at the time, he was criticized. And if you were trying to be balanced, you could say, well, you know, actually that part of it was a good idea. So, I mean, could it have gone farther? Yes. And and by the same token, when when Fox, you know. You, some of the women on Fox are a little more even-handed and try to do a good job, uh, more so than the guys from what I've seen. Um, I mean, that's not to say they're anyone's all bad, but um, they might make a point. I, I, I don't really care what the point is. I might find myself, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. And then they'll, have, and then they'll follow up with some embellishment like the greatest economy ever. I'll say, why do you say that? <laughs> why do you have to? Why do you have to add hyperbole and blow up your whole argument? If you just left it at the facts, so that's the part that never happens. Each side has to embellish right. their side, and they can't just say, "Look, I mean, uh, it's it's like everything is a contest." Whereas in the, what you'd like news outlets to be is, you know, they can have editorial opinion, sure, and they can have shows that are slanted, but how about? Here's a show where we're going to try to have the, you know, both sides and debate it intelligently. That used to happen all the time. That was quite useful. You could flesh things out. You could listen to one person's argument, another person's argument, go back and forth and try to try. So if, if you can't agree on something that's virtually black and white, how do you start understanding nuanced and complicated topics? Right. Right. And and I don't want, you know, just just to prove that I'm not biased. I mean, there was a tweet this morning that Dave Collum retweeted from Jesse Waters, who went on this diatribe last night on Fox News about whether or not George Floyd and Derek Chauvin knew each other before the incident and started asking all these stupid open-ended questions without it. Hey, was there something else going on here? Was he involved in a in a late night dance club that was a front for a for a drug kingpin? What don't we know? It's like dumbass. The guy was murdered. We don't need to know anything right. else. Like, you yes. Know, don't need See, to... they're, 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 that's exactly my point. That's exactly my point. So here's here's a guy embellishing something to go to his agenda rather than just stopping it. Hey, the guy, they, he killed him. Right. That's it. He killed him. Oh, so what's complicated about that? I don't know. There's there's nothing complicated about it to me, but it's those types of things. And, and I'm talking to Dave Saturday. I'm sure we'll talk about it more at length but you know there well he had fentanyl in his system it's like no, who cares who cares irrelevant. yeah who cares 100% irrelevant he, what, what what kind of a threat can you be when you're unarmed and under a man's knee and you got three other guys standing there next to you how, how, how do you how do you project you know something that would anyway we don't need to debate this, this is going to get covered everywhere else but yeah i mean they he killed him and that's that and let's so let's let let's let's talk about other things. There's plenty of other things to talk about. I mean, you think I'm the, not speaking you think the to you, officers, I'm speaking to the media. You think the officers that stood by um, should be charged as well? Well, before I act as jury and prosecution prosecutor and all that, I, I I need to know the more details. I have I, I 
I haven't seen all the clips. Quite frankly, one was enough. I didn't really want to see the other ones. I don't like to. I don't like to watch. You know, things like that. It's not my purview to know what should come down on each of those cops. I mean, and the 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 the, the various types of murder charges and you know manslaughter. It's over my pay grade into knowing how those separate. And you know, uh, I I don't know how you conclude they weren't somehow complicit. You know, the degree degree of that would have to come down to the individual details around what what they each did, but. Um, I mean, it, and that really doesn't matter because at, at this point, that's 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 going to be lost in the shuffle. Although it's going to be highly scrutinized when they all go to trial, that's for sure. But I mean, the fact of the matter is, they killed the guy, and and it happened in a moment in time when there was when when the entire country, the world, was in a powder keg situation because they've been cooped up, and their livelihoods had been upended if not destroyed, and they're frustrated, and they and and they saw something they didn't like. And they just they just blew up emotionally and and, and got out there and did stuff. Yeah, and and, and a know. lot of people in the jujitsu community, um, which is you know a community that I'm relatively active right. in, know exactly what having a knee on your neck feels like. In jujitsu, we there's a position called knee on belly that people go to that you know. Police officers also use, there's a lot, I train with a lot of police officers, you know, great guys, uh-huh. you know, great guys with families that are just, they're fantastic training partners and they train jujitsu so that they can have control in a situation like that. And, you know, there, there's no, there's, there's no neon neck going on. And when you do get a, somebody around your neck, because the objective for the most part of jujitsu is to get to some type of joint lock or some type of uh, uh, choke submission, uh, and the other person taps out, then, you know, but you know what that feeling is when right. the blood is being cut off and you're, and you're, you know, on each side of your neck and what that type of choke feels like. It's different than, uh, you know, an air choke or it's different than like a windpipe choke. And to be in that position where I think what happened, and again, I'm not a medical examiner, but if I had to guess um, what happened was it was put on and it wasn't it wasn't blocking uh, the blood to his brain completely. He may have been getting a little bit, and that's why it took six minutes for him to go unconscious, whereas normally if you if you cut those two sides of your neck off, I mean, it's 15 seconds, 20 seconds, and you're out immediately. And then for him to stay there after the guy had gone unconscious for two minutes, I mean, it's just, it's devastating. It's just absolutely, you know, it's torturous, really. Well- so you can see, given the way I describe the setup, when something like that happens, why why, why people um, you know go go absolutely crazy and and, and, and get get so angry and and and, and as I said, you had a powder keg, and this was the the shockingly uh, horrible event that set everybody off, and 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 now now we're where we are. And you can be completely against what happened to George Floyd, and you can you know proclaim that it was murder and I think it was that's just my opinion and you can also condemn riots looting you know assaults on other people I mean the, the, the chaos that has gone on is just crazy you, you brought up de Blasio a couple minutes ago and I, I I mean I just think the guy did a completely incompetent job in dealing with this well you know we can't we don't want to conflate 
protesting about things with rioting and looting. They're two different things. Sure. Although they went on simultaneously by different groups of people. I mean, obviously, people intent on 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 you know looting and rioting hijacked protests, and then the protesters made the protesters look bad. And you, we've all seen plenty of clips where a lot of thoughtful protesters, you know, try to do something to stop that sort of thing going on, you know. Yep. People that really want anarchy and are 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 and want to loot, riot and stuff like that, they don't think twice about hijacking something peaceful. I mean, they, 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 they don't care. I mean, so anyway, we had a the, the situation then, you know, you know, got to what it did and we we saw what happened in Manhattan, which is just shocking, but it's where we are. I mean, this is where we are. Now the question is how do things get better from here and how long does it take and do they, how much worse do they get before? And, 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 you know, in one of these days, the stock market's not going to be able to laugh all the way to the bank on the back of all of this carnage. Well, so far this year, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at a chart. I mean, the S&P is heading back towards flat on the year. And I'm interested to kind of know what your take is going to be on this election coming up, given how everything, given how the landscape has changed. I mean, what is what does a Biden versus Trump election look like to you now? I don't think you can make a you can arrive at any conclusion uh, about how it will go. There's too many things that could play out that would have a big impact, given all the given all given all the hand grenades rolling around the floor that have pins pulled out of them. So I don't really know. I do feel that by the time we get to the election, if things hold together between now and then and for the for the stock market, um, e- either way, on the other side of it, I think it's going to be trouble. Uh, I, I don't I don't I don't think Biden or and his policies would would be uh, um, bullish for financial assets. Um, and I think if Trump were to win, I think. By that time, the, the 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 thing the markets would be so exhausted uh, that I don't think that much past the election the markets can go no matter what. Now, having said that, we've just seen how powerful QE QE is, right? right. We had had this amazing rally, and despite all the things we've discussed, so if they brought enough QE around the election time, and it was Joe Biden or Trump, could could the thing run again? I guess. Look, this the 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 ability. For the markets to be hijacked by QE is going to exist until the bond market takes away the printing press. Finally, now we may see the signs of that. Start to see that pretty soon as the size of the deficits um, need to be funded and uh, um, at rates that no one really wants to lend at, but you know they they but, but do because they have to or they think that the you know we're going to have deflation, the bond market's going to turn into a capital gains vehicle or something like that. But, you know, rates have backed up in the last, you know, couple of few weeks. Now, if the stock market started back down with the bond market rally, probably. Um, but at some point, you won't be able to fund the deficit, the size of the deficit at, at these at these levels, because this is going on in other places too, right? And uh, so it's going to get monetized until the bond market starts to back up. And then when the bond market does does not do what the Fed wants it to, the Fed will start, will exert yield curve control. Now that'll start to get, things will get interesting then because basically if the bond market says, hey, we can't fund ourselves at these rates, so we need rates to go higher so we can draw, draw in some more buyers, 
the Fed says, uh-uh, we ain't letting that happen, and we're going to put more – we're going to exert control over that, you could start to see the bond market get even worse. I mean the first thing would be it would probably rally and they'd win the yield curve control battle. But at some point, if people started to get think that these policies hurt bonds, and why would I own a 10-year bond at 70 basis points if the Fed wants inflation at 2? And if they say it's 2, it's probably going to be 4 or 5. Right. Now I'm sensitive to inflation because I've seen – prices go up and I've seen what shortages are like and maybe I'm going to buy in advance. You've changed the psychology completely. So that's a necessary ingredient to get a change in, in, in markets. People now can see that you could, you could not be able to get something and prices can go up. And even though they're not supposed to, because we live in a, a you know, a technology world. Well, so you've got psychology changed enough that you could have a meaningful thing things could move in a meaningful way and the Fed could start to lose the bond market. Well, if they can't monetize everything, which of course they would try to, then then the market start to back up, then you get a whole host of different problems. So it until the Fed is as I've and I've said this every time we've ever talked, I think, until the Fed is stopped from its QE, it's kind of where we started this conversation, they're gonna keep doing it. And they will be stopped. The bond market or the currency market, but I don't see how it can really be currencies. And then the question becomes do we do cold fusion? I mean, do they try to tear up the bonds like they're going to try to do in Japan? I don't know. And what would the markets look like on the other side of that? I'm not sure. So, um, but anyway, I think what, what I meant by that tweet, I'm coming back to that, is I, I'm trying to make the point, look, if you're trying to understand how these markets work, nothing really matters except QE until we exhaust the market and the QE, and then we have a sinking spell, and then they got to come with something else. Yeah, and... I'd be interested in your take on China in all of this as well, because in two ways. One is obviously from the escalating tension between the two countries. The other is you we're talking about the bond market and whether or not you know you think China could have an effect there. But certainly over the last, I don't know, three, four months, the tension with China between the virus, between Taiwan um, has really escalated and i'd be interested in your thoughts on that well i mean look there are there are no a lot of people are upset with china for how they handled the virus a lot of people as it's it's quite clear that they they didn't tell the truth i mean i'm not saying anything anyone doesn't hasn't already concluded so they're kind of they're kind of in the penalty box from that then there's a whole contingent of people and no one has articulated the points better than kyle bass about the things that they're doing in terms of, you know, um, you know, using technology to, to 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 either steal what they want or spy on people or things like that. So, the Chinese are in a situation where they're not extremely popular with a large contingent of the globe for you know a couple of different reasons. And I'm not sure how they're going to play this hand, but I mean, you know, if we get into you know times where things are not going well, you can events can spiral out of control and it can get uglier. I mean, you know, how, how Hong Kong plays out, how, what they, what they decided to do anything on Taiwan, that's all going to matter. Um, you know, Trump obviously for this five minutes is, you know, not happy with him, mostly probably because he's concluded that they screwed up his economy, which he wanted to run on. Um, but nonetheless, I mean, I think a lot of people have realized that, that, that they're, they're kind of bad actors from a technology standpoint as well and so and then you've got the whole human rights stuff so i think friction with china is going to be with us for quite a while and uh i don't i don't know how that will add to the mix but i can't see it being you know uh 
uh, um, uh, bullish or optimistic. I mean, you know, um, perhaps if Biden was elected, then he would play nicer with China and China would pretend to like us because he was going to be nicer and, and, and Trump would be more antagonistic, although Trump could change his mind and decide he wants to be nicer because that's better for him. I, I, you know, he, he's such a weather vane on, on some of these topics from time to time. I don't know. But I, I, I don't think I, I, I don't think it's a major variable at this juncture relative to all the ones we've discussed. It's a variable, but I don't I don't know that it's it's, it's going to impact things any more than these big grenades that we've talked about that are rolling around on the floor without pins uh, there. We already have plenty of them. So, Bill, when you look at the price of gold today, which is uh, about seventeen twenty-five, what do you think? I mean, do you think undervalued, overvalued, or where it should be, given given well, the setup right now? Yeah, no, I think I think it's it's destined to go higher because I think at the margin, as more people come to understand the situation as it is. And start to see the consequences of the the central bank policies around the globe. You're going to continually continue to see people decide that they need some exposure to it, and there really isn't that much of it. Um, so you'll, I think, there's going to continually be a bid in the gold market, whether people want to protect themselves from the consequences of QE, the currency problems here or elsewhere, or you know. You know, negative rates and what that does um, or the inflation, the debasement of currencies or just for, you know, for just because they want to have an insurance policy against some of that stuff. More people are going to have to allocate to it than um, have so far. And how far that'll go, I can't say. It wasn't that, you know, I mean, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, which is not that long ago. I know it seems like forever. People thought that you should have five or ten percent in um, in you know as an insurance policy in any you know you know real portfolio. Well, if you started to figure out take financial assets to take five percent of that and try to put that into gold, you can pencil out whatever big numbers you want, right? Because you can't increase the supply very quickly because you have to go find new supply and then you have to permit it. So it's it takes you know five to ten years to bring on new supply. Because you got to find it, and then you know, I say permit it and do all that, and it takes time to do all of those things. So you can't bring on more more supply. I mean, there's a certain amount of supply out there, and that the, all the gold that's ever been in existence still is. But it's not, you know, it's what is it? It's 170,000 tons. It's um, you know, it's about 10 trillion dollars, which is a lot of dough. I mean, I'd be happy if it was mine, but. Uh, you know that, that that to put that in perspective, that was a month worth worth of, worth of QE recently. Oh, sorry, uh, two trillion was a month worth of QE. So it's like one fifth of all the gold was just printed in a month. The value of all the gold. So I can't come up with a number. Nor no, no, I don't believe can anyone else. I mean, a lot of people throw out big numbers, and you know they come at them some way or another. But I don't think you can pick where the number is going to be. Where it, and, and as for where it should be, I hear people say, well, God, gold should be higher given this, this, and this. I said, well, it is where it is. Right, I mean, right. more people have to use, more people come to conclusion that they need some. And then there will be a day or a week or a month. And it'll go up like some, you know, pick a number, a couple hundred bucks, 300 bucks. And everyone will say, oh, why'd gold just go up? Well, it just finally went. That's how markets go. They lull you to sleep. They go sideways. I mean, maybe this gold correction will last for two more weeks. Maybe it'll last for two hours. Maybe it'll last a month. Then all of a sudden, it'll get on its horse again and start going, and people want to know why. 
Well, it was just finally time. I mean, that's the way markets work. The, people have learned a lot about how markets work that's not really true. The way we've had these administered markets over the last 10, 12 years and the last 20, where the Fed suppresses rates and and you know encourages stocks to go up and there's no real price discovery. I mean, how can you have a real market or a real stock market or bond market when when the Fed has made the hurdle rate, i.e. the government bond rate, basically zero? Right. There's no hurdle rate for anything. And they're monetizing the hell out of uh, fixed income assets around the globe. So, so are you going to get distortions? Of course you are. You get distortions in everything because everything needs a hurdle rate or a reference rate or a risk-free rate, something like that. And when you don't have one, then prices just go where they go, and people learn the wrong rules. Well, if it goes up every day and has enough momentum, I'm going to buy it. And then, oh, by the way, that works for a while. Then people think that that's how it actually does work, not knowing that it just worked for that moment in time because you, you had a thought that worked for the insanity of the moment. So people have been taught a lot of what they think are rules that aren't. But, you know, finance isn't like physics. There's no black and white rules really. Do you look um, at do you look at financial assets like the Dow, for instance, in priced in gold? Are those things that you look at? Like I know a lot of no, you know, real no, money people no, no, do that. No. No. Okay. No. Uh, no, no, no. I I you know, I find the ratios to be useful as a reference point, completely worthless from a timing or where's it going to actually go standpoint. I'll give you an example. The silver ratio, silver gold ratio. I mean, you know, it recently got, I think it get to 120, got north of 100. Well, I remember people started talking about it when it was 80. Like, oh, 80, it can't be 80. Well, I mean, I think when, when the silver and gold ratio is that high, you know, maybe north of 50, it means silver's cheap versus gold. But that doesn't mean it, that that gap has to close at any moment in time right. when you think it ought to. It means silver's cheap versus gold, and it can stay cheap versus gold for a long time. And guess what? It can get even cheaper versus gold as people found out that that acted on that argument. Now, I think I think silver will will do much better in the period where the whole world finally starts to realize what the central banks have foisted upon us. And, and silver will do much better than gold because that's the nature of it. It's personality. It's much smaller market, and um, so it will it will go up much, you know, faster and higher and all of that. Um, but um, that's not. But but the, the ratio doesn't doesn't really tell you anything about any of that, right? So I don't. And I can use other ratios like that. You know, you can look at. PE ratios mean more because it's 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 what you're paying for the business, what your prospective return is, right? Um, and so that matters to the business, but it, it hasn't mattered in terms of, well, this is expensive. Yeah, well, expensive right. has just gotten more expensive, or cheap has gotten cheaper. <laughs> so they're 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 just kind of they're kind of like a map that kind of tells you where you are, but it doesn't tell you when it's going to change or when it changes, how much it'll change. It it, it it does in that if you buy stocks at absurd prices to to sales or earnings. And you think you're buying it. It, it, it does give you a measure of how much you're liable to lose if you get it wrong, because it's going to have to go to some when, when the story changes, it's going to have to go to some other place where people may not be drunk and you might lose a lot of money. So it might it's a good indicator potentially of risk. But that's about it. Well, it's like when people post a, the RSI on stocks and they're like, well, the RSI is at 20 or the RSI is at 80. And I always say oversold can always get oversold or er and overbought yes. can always get more overbought or er, you know, like, yes, exactly. 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 It's the same uh, style of argument there. Um, anyways, listen, Bill, I want to thank you so much again for uh, taking some of your time coming on today. I know uh, you got to be hitting the road, but, 
Uh, I appreciate your thoughts on everything. I know, I know my listeners certainly do too. And uh, hopefully we can catch up again uh, over the next couple of months. Hopefully it'll be a, a positive update the next time we chat. Well, that'd be nice, but don't hold your breath. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll definitely chat before the election, so there'll be uh, there'll be something to talk about for sure. Okay. But, All right. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thank you again, Bill. We'll speak soon. Right, Bye. See you later. That was the one, the only Bill Fleckenstein of FleckensteinCapital.com and at FleckCap on Twitter. The original QTR guest and just uh, one of my favorite all-around people in the industry. And how about that? It only took like 15 or 20 episodes, but finally with Bill on, I said something and he said, I completely agree with you. And I don't think that's happened yet. So I'm very I'm stoked about that. That's a good day for me. Anyways, I got Dave Collum coming on Saturday. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, to my patrons for contributing and supporting, making the podcast happen. Sending you guys lots of peace and lots of love heading into the weekend here. Hopefully we can start to fucking rebuild the country here a little bit. And uh, and I'm just wishing you guys all the best. And I'm just, so we head up on 200 episodes Got to tell you guys, I'm just absolutely so appreciative and humbled for all your support. All right, fools. I got shit to do. I'm out of here. Peace.